everyone. My name is Michelle, and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today, my friend John is back, and we're talking about the movie Friends with Benefits. Hey, John, how's it going? Pretty good. Happy to be back. Thank you so much for doing this. So a few things about this movie. It was released in July of 2011. It's directed by Will Gluck. It stars Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. The IMDb.com summary is, A young man and woman decide to take their friendship to the next level without becoming a couple, but soon discover that adding sex only leads to complications. It has a 6.5 on IMDb, and it made more than $150 million at the box office. All right, John, you know the drill. Let's start with, what would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? So I am actually right in line with IMDb, and I gave it a 6.5. Okay. But I would also not be shocked if you gave it something lower, first of all. <laughs> and I also, I wouldn't fight anybody hard if they wanted to give it a lower rating. I will admit that I am partially biased because I'm a big Mila Kunis fan, so that carries a lot of weight with me, which probably bumped it up prop like at least 0.5, maybe one point. So. Oh, wow, one point. That's fair. Um, so I'm actually coming in at a seven. Wow. <laughs> I thought your answer was at least going to be at mine or lower. Got it. <laughs> I was well, not okay. expecting you to be. I wasn't expecting you to be higher than me. <laughs> yeah, I actually was kind of curious to see where you were going to come in at. But my seven, I think maybe it is a little bit generous. I think mostly because the good for me outweighs the bad, I think. So okay. we'll get into it. But what's your relationship with this movie? Why did you choose to discuss this film? Uh, I wanted to watch this because of how much I enjoyed Forgetting Sarah Marshall, mm. another rom-com that Mila Kunis was also in. And so I sort of figured, oh, well, if I enjoyed Forgetting Sarah Marshall, this one can't be too bad. Also, I was kind of curious to see how Justin Timberlake would be in a rom-com. Because I guess up until this point... He had only sort of done kind of like indie films or more serious things. So I, I figured rom-com would be probably within his wheelhouse just because cheesy is, seems like it would have come very easily to him, which, which it seems like it did. Yeah, I think that was, that was my whole impetus for wanting to watch it. Have you seen this movie a lot? I think this was only my third time watching it. Okay. Yeah, for me, I was trying to like go back in my memory and think back as to when I first saw this movie. And I can't remember and I can't recall it. But I think I've seen this movie probably a handful of times. And wow. it's not. Yeah, I think it's because sometimes it's on TV, but this movie is rated R. And I think you and I have talked about this. Like, I don't really love watching rated R movies on cable TV because it just takes out so much of the the fun the stuff. Funny. Yeah, the fun stuff. So <laughs> I, I probably will just have it on in the background if there's nothing else on TV. But yeah. my rewatch yesterday was like the first time I had properly sat down to watch it Yeah, in a long time. So yeah, it's not one that I reach for a lot. I mean, it's obviously funny and entertaining and has pretty high star quality in, you know, in terms of the casting. But right. yeah, I, I guess now you're making me second guess my seven rating. It's like, yeah, no, 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 don't, don't let me. I was just shocked because, you know, obviously you are a connoisseur of rom-com since you watch a lot of them. So I thought by your rom-com standards, you would maybe degrade it a little bit. You're right. No, like that skepticism is fair. I... 
I guess we'll we'll see how this ends. Maybe this will change, but don't let me don't let me change you, Michelle. You do you. <laughs> you do you. I respect it. It's fine. <laughs> Thanks, John. Um, all right, let's get into the specifics. What are some things you like about this movie? I mean, Mila Kunis, Mila Kunis, Mila Kunis. Uh, <laughs> like she is obviously the highlight of this movie. I think also part of it was her character is just very, I mean, it, her character made sense. Like, I feel like a lot of times when you watch a rom-com, you're like, okay, well, there's a very clear flaw with this person that they should obviously get over. But there is not like a super obvious or just like unrealistic flaw with her. I mean, she's like a go-getter person working in New York. So she's very fast paced, which I'm sure you'll appreciate being a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. But like her personality totally makes sense. And you understand like why she does the things that she does and nothing that she really does in the movie is super out of character or super, you know, super crazy to me. So I really enjoyed that about, about her and her character. Patricia Clarkson, her mom is hilarious yeah. in this movie, <laughs> which is just so great. Just cause she's like, totally that sort of like weird like hippie free love mom person and it's great like the entire like running joke of how she keeps changing the ethnicity of of (laughs) jamie's dad is just is hilarious to me she's like oh no maybe he's russian or maybe he's Russian." it's like i don't know i don't remember it's like that's some crazy ish going on so good it's so funny and uh woody harrelson i actually i don't really remember any other movies before this that I enjoyed of him. I mean, I know he was in natural born killers and all that, but I don't, I th- like, I can't remember another comedy movie that I distinctly remember him from before mm-hmm. watching this one. And I loved his character in this one. I don't know how that portrayal would fly today. If they remade it, but it was very enjoyable to me and I liked it. I particularly enjoyed the, 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 the scene where they're playing basketball and he dunks shout out white men can't jump. Yep. Yep. So yeah, those are, those are the three big ones for me. Yeah, I, I have a little bit of a longer list, but I agree with you, like starting off with this cast, um, Mila Kunis, I, I enjoy her. Like, I don't have the same relationship with her as you do. Shocking. I've loved her <laughs> in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but that's kind of the only other touch point I have with her. I didn't watch that 70s show. I don't really oh. have any kind of pull to her because of that show. What about Family Guy? Oh, yeah, Family Guy. You know, I'm also not a diehard Family Guy fan. I'll watch it from time to time, but it's not something I followed through the years. Um, But yeah, she's really good. She's funny. And I I also like I believe her. And I think that you mentioned that she's a believable person in the real world. Right. JT, like, you know, I I like Justin Timberlake as, as a musician. I'm unsure about how I feel about him as an actor, but I thought he did okay in this movie. I think that he and Mila have believable chemistry. But for me, I think the strength lies in the side characters, which you mentioned already. They're so hilarious, but I have to shout out Emma Stone and Andy Samberg in like the first five minutes of this movie. (laughs) That was one of the things I was sad about. I was like, give me more Emma Stone. She is great. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think I LOL'd maybe like the hardest just because John fucking Mayer, your body's a wonderland. (laughs) (laughs) We missed your body is a wonderland. (laughs) I just loved it. I loved it. I wish there was more of them in this movie. Um, You did mention the New York City aspect of this, which, you know, I love that. But for you, there's also L.A. shout outs. You living in L.A. There are. And I love how they have the classic you know, New York City versus LA, like that one scene when 
Dylan, who's Justin Timberlake's character, comes to Jamie's house for the first time and house party or whatever. Right. And she introduces him to her friends as like, oh, this is Dylan. He's from L.A. And, and everyone in the goes, room boos him. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. I mean, honestly, I've never understood the whole like L.A. versus New York thing. Because to me, they're just like two completely different vibes and they both have like their pros and cons. Like I 100% understand the cons about L.A. and I agree mm-hmm. with them. But it's not like New York is perfect, which I feel like <laughs> is the main argument that New Yorkers make. I'm like, New York is not perfect. It's great. I love New York. It's awesome. But it's not perfect. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's a totally different vibe. But yeah, that scene was, was very funny to me. And I was like, that is a very New York thing that that would happen. Yeah. Just boo. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Well, okay. So I thought you were going to like maybe stick up for LA a little bit more. <laughs> Look, I love my city. I love it here. The food here is great. And there are definite positives about LA, but I am, I'm real. Like I'm from the East Coast. So I recognize mm-hmm. that there are differences. I appreciate the differences but I'm not going to go out and say one is like definitively better than the other. They're both awesome in their own right, you know? Okay. I appreciate that because I was ready to throw down for New York. <laughs> I mean, if you want to throw down, we can, I'm just kidding. We don't have to throw down. That's fine. <laughs> no, no need to throw down. I, I yeah. feel like my sentiments have been very clearly recorded on this, on this really? podcast. Really? You love New York? I would have never guessed. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they don't really depict LA to be like fabulous other than, I mean, they do, but it's just the beach. Like, there's no other depiction of L.A. Uh, yeah. in this movie. So I will say that this movie kind of gives points to New York more than L.A. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a very New York-centric movie. But I also feel like, I mean, a lot of Justin Timberlake's commentary is very funny to me. Like, when they're doing the whole sort of critique about, like, Ron Cohn's like, oh, they're filming this in L.A., but it's actually supposed oh, yes. to be New York for the film. And I was like, that's 100% what happens all the time. I mean, like, if yes. you do any of the studio tours, they say, like, hey, this is usually the section or, the, like, the lot where we pretend it's New York, but we're filming it here. It's like, everybody knows this is what happens. It's, mm-hmm. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I appreciated that. Also, one other note about the L.A. versus New York City is that when Dylan gets to New York, he comments about the weather in New York. And Jamie's like, why are we talking about the weather? But I 100% agree with Dylan because when New York is like 90 degrees, it feels like it's 150 degrees. I'm exaggerating, obviously. But yeah, the humidity here is the worst. (laughs) It's the worst, at least in California. When it's 90, it's a dry 90. So I I will concede on that point. Yeah, I mean, we can't argue the weather. I mean, New York's got fall, but... I mean, the whole argument for fall in New York, I was like, yes, it's great in New York for a couple weeks during fall when, like, colors happen. But then once the leaves fall, fall in New York sucks, just like everywhere else, because everything's dead. Right. So, yeah. I mean, the whole thing also was, like, when people move to L.A., everyone's like, oh, my God, you're going to miss the seasons. I don't miss the seasons at all. It's spring, mm. summer here all the time. And you know what? I'm 100% okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So a few other things that I liked about this movie is that – so this movie came out in 2011, Almost right. 10 years ago. So it actually came out in July. So I'm oh. saying almost. And I'm filing this under things I like about this movie. It's just so dated, even though it's not that old, right? Like yeah. flash mobs. Remember when that was like a huge uh, moment? Everyone gosh. and their mother was like flash mob, doing flash, flash mob. mobs. Oh my gosh. It just brought me back. Like I honestly forgot about flash mobs until I sat down to watch this movie. The cell phones they had just cracked me up. I don't even know what they were using. Not I mean, iPhones. I think they were still like iPhone. Blackberry. 
I mean, they were Blackberries, but I mean, because that was touchscreen mostly. I don't remember seeing tiny buttons for the Blackberry, but yeah, it was, yeah. was iPhone esque. It was like early smartphones, but it was dated enough looking that you're like, oh, this is not a modern movie anymore. Yeah, but like that was, I guess, kind of surprising to me because I don't think of this movie as being, you know, quote unquote old. But then when you watch it, you're like, oh, these are really dated references. Yeah. I don't know. It's something that I liked about it because it just brought me back. And I was like, oh my gosh, time is weird. Yeah. It is kind of crazy to think, oh, 2011, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> it's wild. Oh, I'm in such denial. That's so crazy. It's been a long year, so it's understandable. Yeah, for sure. One final thing I liked about this movie was that I think the script was really well done in the sense that it brought a lot of things back. Like there were a lot of things that were referenced continuously throughout the movie. Yes. I'll give you a few examples. The Closing Time by Third Eye Blind. Like oh, a, it was a bit. Ugh, <laughs> ugh. We'll talk about that later, but ugh. <laughs> okay, I'm curious, so we'll save that for later. Dylan being bad at math just made me LOL a lot. Just, you know, he's so just, sad. Just so, so sad. It was sad. just funny. And then my favorite of these recurring bits was the whole thing about the planes being able to fly themselves and <laughs> Captain Sully being an American hero and Dylan just being like, these planes fly themselves. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I just, I appreciated those little nuggets. I just like how everybody is sticking up for Captain Sully. It's so great. Everyone's just like, are you un-American? Like, what's wrong with <laughs> yes. you? He's like, I'm just saying, they're so technologically, it's like, no. Like, and then I like how Mila find is like, you're being an asshole. And then all the kids turn around, it's like, it's okay, she's from New York, that's She's fine. from New York, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, are there other things that you have? No, I mean, I think I covered the three main ones. I'm, I'm, I'm okay moving on to what I didn't like, since you already referenced one of the things I really, really didn't like. <laughs> Okay, please go for it. Okay, so Justin Timberlake is, for the most part, like, he's fine in this movie. Like, I I don't hate him. He's not super annoying, but man, is he so cliche in this movie. And mm. I guess that's, like, that's part of it. Like, it's also part of the commentary is, like, they point out how cliche, like, rom-coms are. And it's sort of, like, I guess part of the, the irony of it is that he's also very cliche. But, oh, gosh, the cliche is so, so thick in this movie with him mm-hmm. that it's it's a little bit much. And yeah, I, I love Third Eye Blind. Like, I grew up <laughs> listening to Third Eye Blind. So the entire confusion, everyone else thought it was funny. I just thought it was disrespectful because, Aww. let's be honest, <laughs> fuck Semisonic. They have one good song, which was Closing Time, and that's it. And Third Eye Blind has a lot more than just one song. Okay, I appreciate that. I, wow, I'm just remembering, like, closing time being played at, like, every... Every bar, yes. when they were closing down, you're like, okay, we get it. It says closing time, and that's what it is right now, and that's why you're playing it, which is why this song is overdone, and why you would confuse it with Third Eye Blind. Oh, so upsetting. It's upsetting. <laughs> I love that you're coming at this because you're just a more of a Third Eye Blind fan. Yeah. So disrespectful. I love so it. I appreciate disrespectful. that. disrespectful. But to your point about JT and this cliche character, so this is actually one of the things I don't like about this movie either. And I mentioned this on a previous episode as well. It's that I can recognize when a rom-com is self-aware. Right. But the one thing about this movie is that I feel like it's almost too self-aware. They're literally watching a rom-com within this movie. And they're making fun of its cliches, which shout out Jason Siegel and Rashida Jones. Yeah. So good. So good. And like, as you mentioned, it makes sense for the character of Jamie to like wish she, she says, she's like, I wish I could live in a movie. And right. like, 
you know, that's a pretty relatable for me perspective, because yes, I have thought those thoughts while watching rom-coms, but I don't know if I want a character to feel that way about rom-coms. Is that, am I making sense? Because it's just... No, 100%. I guess to me, like, the main difference is, like, I enjoyed the commentary, and I enjoyed the sort of, like, self-critique in a way, And but I think you're right that it's a little too on the nose. Like, to mm-hmm. me, it's a difference between, like, showing and telling. Like, right. I think if they had just done, like, the sort of rom-com inside the rom-com and just had that one scene where they're just, like, talking about it, and, like, that's it, like, that would have been enough, but they kind of like hitting it on the head just like so so much that it kind of takes away from how great that one scene is Mm -hmm. and yeah it's a little too on the nose and so then it becomes a little too like cringy and a little too annoying because you're like okay we get it you're aware of what's happening but you're still talking about it so now it's not as fun (laughs) right yeah i think like slightly cringy is like the best way to describe it it's like i get what you're saying but let's move on from it kind of thing right One thing I didn't like about this is like, while I love, obviously, rom-coms and this world of make-believe, the cynic in me, I'm kind of tired of this story, friends with benefits. Like, of course it doesn't work, (laughs) in my very strong opinion. Like, this story is told and retold time and time again. And, you know, this is a little bit funnier it's rated r (laughs) and it's got mila kudis and jt and like you know very attractive people telling this story but i'm just just like love i love this picture right now the rom-com fan is saying oh this has been done before (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's so good it's i'm calling myself out and i like (laughs) totally get it it's fun and entertaining to watch don't get me wrong but it's just like head in my hands like why do they think that they're the exception and can get away with this that's the question in every rom-com though <laughs> <laughs> i just love all these things these things you're saying are literally my thoughts on every single rom-com and i'm like you... why why are you only saying it about this movie and not the others then <laughs> john you are not wrong you are a hundred percent correct and i think Okay, so I broke this down a little bit more in my own head. Okay. Why am I a little bit more cynical about this movie compared to others? And I think it's because, and I mentioned this a lot in other episodes, is that nostalgia is like a really big factor in why I like Uh rom-coms. So this movie came out 10 years ago. I think I was already level-headed enough to be like, yeah, I don't think friends with benefits ever work out. (laughs) So I wasn't really looking to be proven wrong by this this story, I guess. And I guess I'm just a little bit more level-headed and rational. And maybe I'll say it, maybe I'm a little bit prude to like think that this kind of story would actually work. Or not the story, but you know, being friends with benefits without any attachments. That doesn't work. Well, I mean, I think it is a very good point that you make there about, like, I guess when you watch it. Because I think if this movie had come out, like, 10 years earlier than it did in, like, Mm -hmm. 2001, I think you would like it a lot more than you do now. I, yeah, I agree with you. Because I think at that point, it would almost be refreshing how much they were sort of, like, hammering on the fact, like, how cliche rom-coms are. But now... It's a little, like, too on the nose. And since there are, like, so much time has passed by, now that you're older and more level-headed, that you sort of think, oh, of course this didn't work out, or why would they think that and all that. But it's like, that's not the point, though, because it's also just... 
I mean, I, I can't believe the whole role reversal is happening right now, by the way. I'm actually, like, <laughs> defending this to you, and you're the one hammering on it. Like, like it's so weird. It's, it's just, if 2020 weren't over, it'd be very 2020. There's just things that just flipped crazy. Anyways, I think part of it, though, for you is because you are such a rom-com fan, I, I don't think you enjoy having, like, the main points of it sort of, like, pointed out so much. I don't know if people always want to know the exact reasons why they like something. They just want to like it. Like, they don't want to have it explained to them or mm-hmm. have to explain it to people. Like, if you like something, you just like it. And I think this movie plays on that so much that it bothers you. <laughs> yeah, I think you've hit the, the nail on the head in that sense. Like, I don't really want things to be explained to me when I'm purposefully, like, watching this to escape something. It's like, it's not that it's condescending, but maybe it is in a lighter sense. Yeah, I mean, I think I can understand why you would see it as kind of condescending because it's like, oh, like it's judging you in a way while it's judging itself. <laughs> yes, so. yes, yes, totally. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Again, I still think it's hilarious <laughs> that that bothers you. <laughs> I mean, I make excuses for some movies that I like grew up watching and loving and I will fully be able to recognize like this is so ridiculous and predictable, but I still love it. But for this movie, it's predictable, but I'm not fully buying into it. And I think also a reason why is because, and I this is a whole category later, but like, I don't think I relate to the characters that much. Oh, interesting. So okay. yeah, it's kind of layered. I think my, my reasons for being outwardly cynical about this movie is that, again, we'll touch on that later, but it's not something that really tugged at my heartstrings in terms of relatability. And then separately, I also found myself not really laughing out loud that much. Uh-huh. Like I laughed out loud. It was funny. But I didn't have any belly laughs. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, that's like an iconic scene. And I didn't cry once, which, you know, I cry all the time. Yes. I mean, I figured you wouldn't cry for this week. But see, (laughs) I think... See, I think that's part of the reason why you don't like this movie because, well, actually, when you say it's not relatable, I think that's interesting because I think out of like the rom-coms, at least the ones that we've talked about, well, actually, not necessarily even with Trainwreck. I think Trainwreck is sort of relatable, but even then, those characters are, are kind of outlandish. This one has the most real people in it. And I that's think that's a really good point. So I think that's part of the reason why you don't enjoy it because it's almost too believable. And to me, like a rom-com, the reason why you enjoy it is because there are aspects that you relate to, but most of it is so like outlandish and out there that you appreciate how outlandish it is. But because this one is like literally something that could have happened to your friend. Now you're like, I don't really need to watch this movie because <laughs> I've already like talked about it with my friend in real life. And that's why you don't care. <laughs> Absolutely. Like we also talked about, about Notting Hill, which I think I gave like a 9 or a 9.5. Which is the most <laughs> unbelievable movie which we've talked about. <laughs> You're not wrong, but I think you have uncovered something really true about me, is that I think maybe I like rom-coms the more magical and the more fantastic they are. You want fairy are. tale. You don't want exactly. real life. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want real life, but I can appreciate real life. But if you're going to depict real life, depict it in the way I look at real life. <laughs> They did depict it in the way you see real life, but that's not what you want to see. That's not what you actually want. (laughs) That is so true. Everything he did and everything she did is 100% believable, totally possible, and like within the realm of like something that you probably would have ever heard of, done yourself, or know somebody who has done. And so Mm -hmm. that's why it's, 
Well, that's why you don't like it, but I actually appreciate that. Yeah. No, that's really fair. This is probably out of the movie, the three movies that we've discussed. This is yeah. probably the most quote unquote relatable. Yes. But yeah, what else didn't you like about this movie? I, I probably am a lot more annoyed by the semi-sonic thing than I should be, but it really, really bugged me. <laughs> like, I just couldn't help it. When he started doing it, he's like, oh, the third one. I was like, no, you're wrong, Justin Timberlake. You should know better. You're a musician. What the hell? That's pretty funny. I love it. Oh, I didn't know that you were such a big Third Eye Blind fan. I saw them in concert. Actually, I've seen them in concert twice in like the last three years. What? Actually, I've seen them. I think I've seen them in concert like five times, actually. And they've been great every single time. Wait, I didn't know they were like still a band. Yeah, they're still a band. I saw them at, at Clusterfest in San Francisco. I saw them at Outside Lands. I saw them at like this random street concert thing they were doing in downtown Vegas a couple of years ago. Wow. And like, yeah, you know what? They're they're playing the, the same songs from before, but guess what? Still great. Still awesome. <laughs> Don't care. <laughs> wow, you're making me try to think back of the last concert I went to. And I it's very clear that you go to concerts. Like you love going to concerts. Yes. I don't. I just don't feel the need to go to concerts. I think it depends on the band and it also depends on like the the experience of it and like the venue of it. Like when I saw them at Outside Lands, it was awesome because it was a whole bunch of people who were there clearly for them. And so everybody was singing along and it was great. And he's also very good at sort of playing to the crowd and like talking to people in the crowd too. So it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. But I think there are some bands that like you don't necessarily need to see live because they just won't sound as good. Like... By far, my favorite band to see live is Muse. Well, besides them being my favorite band, they also sound amazing live. They mm. sound the same as they do on the records, if not better, because they put so much sort of like theatricality and like just overall epicness to their performances with the lights and everything. So it's why it's, it's great. Oh, but. wow. I guess, yeah, I think I just value musicians in the comfort of my own home. <laughs> I mean, it's better that way because you're getting like... I mean, well, I guess better is a question of it's a question of perspective. But I mean, you're getting the most ideal performance because you're getting the one that's like touched up. But yeah, authenticity matters, too. But yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That was a really long tangent. <laughs> anyway, uh, I appreciate that. But let's move on to themes. What are your thoughts? What are some themes that you took away from this movie? I mean, I think you kind of covered some of them in terms of like the rom-com classics, like the characters overcoming their commitment and emotional issues, like the friends that start out as just friends and then they become way more. And of course, like something they think won't happen actually does happen and they fall in love like those, you know, that's just rom-com 101. I mean, I, I knew where it was going, but they also kind of knew where it was going to. So it's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the obvious one for me is just that like friendship is kind of the foundation that builds on like successful relationships. For sure. I think that they found like a true partnership with each other. And I think that's why maybe we're more inclined to think that they work. Or maybe that's why we're rooting for them to work is because that they have a true friendship. Yeah. The other thing that I took away is like, and we haven't really talked about this yet, is family. Right. So one observation I made while watching this movie is that besides the Woody Harrelson character, there are no friends that Mila Kunis and JT have in this movie. It's just them and their families. There's no sidekick, best friend type uh, personality. Yeah. So that was like, oh, that's, that's kind of different. Jamie has her mom. Patricia right. Clarkson, which, yes. you know, delivers on the laughs. 
And then Dylan has Woody Harrelson, but then he also has his sister, Annie, who's played by Jenna Elfman. Who's great. So good. Dad played by Richard Jenkins, and then his nephew played by a baby Nolan, Nolan Gould. Gold? Gold? Yeah, Gould? 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 Gould. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, I think that that was a really interesting kind of way to tell this story was through family versus friends. I mean, maybe this is me going a little deep here. Is that like, I noticed that Jamie and Dylan both try to keep their families like at arm's length. You know, I don't want to talk about it. I separate my, my personal life with my family life. But at the end, it's pretty much like what their mom and dad say to them that kind of help provide perspective. And they encourage them at these like really important pivotal moments of like, do I pursue this relationship or not? And I was like, oh, that's, that's really sweet. And I, I liked that about this movie. Yeah. Well, I guess I didn't really think that like that Dylan was keeping his family at arm's length because I guess there are multiple times where he does like talk to them. I mean, he even picks up a call from his from his uh, from his sister like while he's with a with a girl. So I feel like he clearly yeah. values his family and he's like willing to fly to go see them. I actually thought that there was an interesting contrast there because I guess like Jamie doesn't really know anything about her family because her mom is just sort of like all over the place. And then, like, Dylan does know everything about his family and is close with his family, but it's just that there's sort of, like, the sort of looming tragedy, I guess, about it because his dad is, like, you know, is just sort of, like, losing himself, like, over time. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, that is, like, an interesting kind of, like, juxtaposition between the two, which is also why it was interesting when he was like, yeah, I'll take you to see my family. I was like, oh. <laughs> like, yeah. It was very, like, out of the blue. Like, I guess we, we can talk about that later, but uh, I, I that scene was... I mean, that whole decision and sequence was very interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. The family aspect sort of replaces, like, the the sort of, like, friendly sidekick things. Like, we do see those scenes where she, like, clearly has friends over, but then, like, that's that's pretty much it. It's just sort of in the party montages, and that's it. Right. But yeah, other than that, they're, like, each other's best friends, which also seemed to kind of happen oddly quickly. Very but... quickly. But... Yes. Yeah. Again, we can discuss that later. <laughs> <laughs> What is your favorite scene? So I know we've talked about how, you know, they are very obviously sort of the rom-com inside the rom-com, like talking about it and critiquing it. But my favorite scene actually was, was the scene where they're watching the rom-com and pointing out like all the cliches of it, because I was like, that's me. I point out all those cliches too. It's like, oh, they're talking about New York, but they're actually filming in LA. And of course this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. It's like, that's me. That's me making all those comments. (laughs) (laughs) So I loved that scene and like everything about it. And it was great. And also just because like you said, Jason Segel and Rashida Jones, I also appreciate that. It's like another sort of like odd, like Judd Apatow reference to, we can't get away. Oh yes. Yes. But yeah, and then also just thought it was like a nice sort of little cameo there because I'm like forgetting Sarah Marshall again too, so. Yeah, so I have a confession. What? I don't have a favorite scene. I literally... Oh my gosh! (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, as I was typing out my notes, I was like, there's no obvious scene for me. I blanked and I just only could come up with like, and I mentioned these earlier, like these little small nuggets about... The pilots not flying the plane and like Dylan being bad at math. And just those were the things that I think I appreciated the most was like how they tied in all these little things. You didn't even enjoy all the Sean White bits because I loved those too. So (laughs) Sean White bits were very funny, but I actually put Sean White under WTF just because, yeah, why? So random. 
We can talk about that later because I was well. I guess I could also include those under my favorite scenes because I have not heard the greatest things about him, like as a person. So to oh, me, like I couldn't believe that he actually agreed to do it because I was like, this seems a little too on the nose for you. And I was like, mm. are you, are you trying to make a joke because? people say these things about you or like are you just trying to throw them off the set by being like see i did in a movie which means it's not real but kind of like also he's kind of like a douche in real life so coping mechanism (laughs) yeah that's interesting so yeah i'm kind of bummed that i don't have a favorite scene and yeah i guess there's just no iconic scene in this movie that even like lends to that and like usually the ending is kind of my favorite scene but i think the dated references of the flash mob and again like so many like winks and nudges to again the whole cliche thing that they keep talking about and referencing in this movie and like you oh still you got gave me this movie a 7 but you don't even have a favorite scene how could you give it a 7 if you have no favorite scene <laughs> You're right. I think I am actually being very generous with this You're movie with my so seven. You're being so generous. <laughs> well, I didn't have a favorite scene in a movie. It was like the most I would I could imagine giving it is like a six, maybe. <laughs> You're right. I don't know why I gave it a seven. Huh. We'll, we'll reassess this again, officially, at the end. <laughs> hey, I'm just pointing out the facts. Like, you're putting holes in your own argument. I'm not the one hammering on it. I'm just letting you know. But that... you're not wrong, John. You are not <laughs> wrong. I love it, though. And you're keeping me accountable because you're right. <laughs> All right. So I mentioned Sean White. Let's move on to WTF moments. Okay. I don't know if you had anything else to add. Sorry. No, I mean, I no, I, I didn't. But the yeah, the WTF moments are there are definitely a few. I mean, we'll start with the we'll start with the smaller ones first, and then we'll I'll sure. finish with the, the the one that I oddly had the most problems with. Okay, sure. So the first one is uh, when the, when Jamie and Dylan are talking about like I guess like the weird things that like guys and girls say like during sex. Like when Jamie is doing her dude impression, for some reason she goes with like the Russian Ukrainian <laughs> accent, and I was just like, that is such an odd choice. Like I mean, in real life. She, you know, does speak Russian and she's like, she is Russian, like Ukrainian, but it's just odd that that's what she went with. Because also like the other like sort of little tidbit about it is like the taxi driver guy, like in the beginning when she's like changing the cab, like that's actually her dad talking. Yeah, he voices voices the the taxi driver and he has the Ukrainian accent voice. So I'm like, why would you use the same accent slash voice that your dad says (laughs) when you're talking about what dudes say during sex? It's such a weird choice. It bugged me so much. I was like, why? (laughs) That's so funny. I mean, I I remember that scene. It, It is really funny how she imitates a guy like... Like finishing during sex i just yeah. it's very but funny it's like why russian though why would you use the same voice as your dad <laughs> there's like so many psychoanalytic things i could say about it and i'm like why it's so weird it is weird i'll give you that that's a funny one yeah and then my next one is the whole hollywood sign debacle so mm. this is like the la person I mean, everyone has a story about like trying to get to the hollywood sign in actuality like you can't get to where they did i mean i feel like most people know that because, well, all the fences and stuff have, like, sensors and alarms on them. So, like, the helicopter part is actually legit. If you did try to do it, the cops would be on you instantly because so many people try to do it. They actually have, like, sensors and alarms in place. So if you if you try to jump any of the fences, they know immediately. But, yeah, that whole thing was just weird. Also, they didn't go to jail for it. Like Right. Yeah. Trespassing. Like, what were the fines? What was the punishment? Yeah. It was also just sort of like a random thing. I was like, why is this happening? Like, why are we doing this? Like, what is the point of having this in the movie? And I guess it's just sort of like a callback to like the fact he used to have a stutter or whatever. But I was like, I don't really Mm. need this. This serves nothing to me story wise. So it was a little weird. And yeah, and then my final one, which is the weird one that like, I don't know why it bugs me so much. 
him needing to pee during sex. So, you know, we can all be adults about this. And so I'll just say, as a dude, if you have an erection, you literally should not have had to pee, especially in the middle of sex. Like, that's just <laughs> not even like biologically, that's not possible. I will give everyone a medical lesson. But when you have an erection, like your bladder is literally closed off from like where you're like, like sort of like on that pathway to your urethra. So like, there's no way that you would need to pee. Like the only way you can pee is if you lose your erection. So, like, that whole scene, I'm just sort of like, this is impossible. First of yeah. all, why would you need to pee during sex? Because the only reason you would need to pee during sex is, A, he's incontinent, or, like, he's not actually hard anymore. So, uh-huh. like, like that's the whole reason why dudes get morning wood. It's because, like, that's your body trying to make sure you don't pee yourself in your sleep. Oh, wow. You, you have biology backing this up. My dad is a doctor, shocker of all shockers. But, so, like, <laughs> that's why there's, like, random things that, like, I just know medical-wise. But... So that whole scene, I'm like, I also don't understand why this is happening to like, besides, besides the sort of like gratuitous, like butt shots and like nudity shots. I'm like, I don't really know why this scene is here and why it needs to happen. Mm. Like the only part that's believable about that scene is like, I'm glad he sat down on the toilet because if he had tried to stand up and pee, if like, we're actually (laughs) going to like follow the sort of logistics of this scene, he is right. He would have like peed all over the place. It would have been terrible, which is, I was like, okay, at least he's doing this part right, but everything else about this is wrong, and I don't understand why it's happening or why it's here. <laughs> I love how Jamie looks over and she's like, are you pooping? And he's like, like, no, well, it's easier to do it while sitting down. But yeah, you know, uh, WTF, <laughs> for sure. I, I think it was just maybe gratuitous to see a butt shot of JT and maybe for him to show off more acting, like comedic acting chops, I guess. But you're right. There was no purpose for this little bit to be in this movie. It's not even Mila Kunis's real butt. She got a butt double. It's like, yes. what's the point of this? What is the point? <laughs> also, that butt double didn't look anything like Mila Kunis from behind. Not that I, I know what she looks like from behind, but like... I mean, I'll be honest. When I first saw this movie, I thought it was her because I was like, I could imagine her butt looking like this. I only found yeah. out later on it was not actually her butt and was disappointed, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> disappointed. Disappointed that we didn't get to see Mila's real butt. So I have a few small ones as well. Uh, the first one I have is... Jamie and Dylan, right? They have a professional working relationship, but literally on the first day, Jamie's already making jokes about sex. And I'm just like, this is so unprofessional. Yeah, no, this would not fly if I met with a headhunter. I might push back on that a little bit. Okay, tell me. Okay, so in her role as a headhunter, I'm assuming like a majority of her clients or a majority of the people she's going after are dudes. And so... You know, as a headhunter, your your job is to be a salesman. And being a salesperson means you need to sort of, like, connect with them in whatever level you want. And as a dude, like, if a girl is going to start, like, making jokes about sex and just try to be bro-y, like, that is a tactic of trying to connect with the person more and be more, like, friendly in a way. So I didn't have a problem with that because I was like, she's just being a salesperson. That's what they do. Okay. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I think you can still do a good job selling this job without making sex jokes. Again, I mentioned that I was a little bit of a prude, and maybe this is where this also comes out. It's just that, like, inappropriate. The thing that I actually thought was more inappropriate about that is that, like, literally on their first night, like, meeting, she takes him to her secret place, like, barely knowing him. And she even points out how weird it is that she did that. And I'm like, so why did you do that? Right. Yeah. I think she's just instantly attracted to him. She like maybe doesn't want to go there and like admit that to herself. Yeah. But it's weird. 
But okay, so here's my other thing about this professional relationship is that, again, I don't know much about headhunters or executive recruiters, but it also seems a little bit unprofessional that Jamie keeps telling Dylan to stay at his job so she can get a bonus. Like, yeah, it's a little weird. I, I don't think that part I will say, yeah, is a little indefensible. I mean, I think you sort of understand like the way the business of it works, but you would never tell somebody, hey, make sure you stay here for at least a year. <laughs> like they should just know that also. Right. And I found myself wondering, like, what is her commission? How much could she possibly be getting for this to make such an impact? And actually, I googled like, what is the commission that headhunters can potentially get? And it's anywhere. Again, this is just a very light Google search. It was anywhere between 15 to 25 percent. So it's not nothing, yes. assuming that JT is getting the art director job at GQ. So yeah, that must be a pretty, pretty penny for her to get. Yeah. So I get it, but it's also just like, I don't think that in a real world scenario, you could have those kinds of conversations with your recruit. Yeah. But I also, I sort of feel like that plays into her personality being very sort of like fast and casual in terms of yeah. just sort of like, you know, she's just going to be you know, like straight shooter about it and just be very direct. Yeah, that's fair. I think which is why, like, I guess, like, a lot of her dialogue didn't bo really bother me that much. Because I'm just like, yeah, it's in tune with, like, what she's established as a person. I mean, she's changing in a cab in front of a stranger. So, yeah, like, it, clearly she has no sort of qualms about just being very forward. A few other things I have. Jamie and Dylan have sex at his sister's house. Like. Yes. The night she gets there. It's, like, so weird. That is, like, <laughs> the least sexy place to get it on, in my opinion. With, like, his dad next door and his sister in the other room. It's just. Mm. I ha no like this is not oh man now you really do sound like a <laughs> I mean I think I can understand it if it's like there's been a relationship built like oh the sister and I have a relationship or I know like the dad but like it's literally like the first night she's there there's the danger aspect Michelle that's why there's like there's a danger aspect yeah I suppose but yeah this is me being me I guess I was going to say, I don't want to comment on my own personal history or whatever, but I'm just saying that the danger aspect sometimes is fun. So <laughs> That's like, very telling, John. I'm just saying that, like, again, also did not have a problem with this because, like, yeah, this is believable. Like, I'm sure people have done this. It's fine. Like, it's... Oh, I'm you know. sure people have done it. Yeah. Right. Just to me, but... it's just like when you're <laughs> sitting and thinking about it, you're like, oh, okay. No fear. I love it, I guess. Yeah, but... I don't know why I feel so judged all of a sudden, but I'm just saying that it's all your prudiness. It's like making me feel self-conscious, but yeah, I didn't have a problem with that. Fair enough. Um, Dylan and his dad taking their pants off at the airport restaurant, like oh. they most definitely would have gotten kicked out of the restaurant. But yeah. I get this moment. It's supposed to be sweet and Dylan like can take his pants off and doesn't care what other people think or see. So yeah, just wanted to note that. That's fair. And also like, I didn't appreciate this underlying bit of this movie is that why does liking Harry Potter make Dylan gay? Oh, man, that was one of the <laughs> things that I was going to talk about for, I guess, like, if this got remade again, like, they would have to cut that out. Because, yeah, they throw, like, gay around a lot. And it yeah. is not in the most sort of PC way. And if they had tried to do this later, at least today, like, I don't think people would be okay with it. Yeah, agree. Also, there's nothing gay about Harry Potter. I don't understand that at all. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's more of like the WTF. Like, why is this? I don't know. Why is this gender? I thought it was a know. universal thing. Yeah, that was that was weird. I, I will also agree to that, too. Okay, so let's move on to the ending. What are your thoughts? Do you like it? 
I thought it was a logical ending, which is why I was okay with it. I think, like, I guess part of what you didn't like about the movie, what I do like, is that, like, the sort of, like, conflict that happens is believable and totally understandable. Like, she, like, the whole reason why she gets upset is because she overhears him saying something where he's, he's exaggerating and he's talking to his sister. So, of course, like, you know, you know how it is with siblings. Like, sometimes you talk in hyperbole just to sort of, like, emphasize your point, even if you're not, don't actually mean it to that same degree. But to an outside ear, of course, that would sound way worse. So I understand, like, why she was upset about that, but I also understand why he said it the way he said it. Mm-hmm. Like, the the whole, like, disagreement there, but then getting resolved after they both have time to think about it is, like, it makes sense to me. So I was totally fine with this ending. And then, like, I also appreciate the callback, which sounds weird for me to say because rom-coms are nothing but callbacks but Mm -hmm. that one i was like okay like i get it like they met their first night was was a flash mob and that's how he's doing it to uh professor's love so i'm on board yeah i agree with you the ending is fine it's cheesy i'm happy with it but i think it also at that point made me realize i was like oh yeah i don't think i was really that emotionally invested in either of these characters (laughs) in terms of the likability of these characters i think that they're likable. I noted that I think I'd be friends with Jamie. She, I feel like is someone who would be a very loyal friend, not be afraid to like fight for her friend because she's so brash. And I love it about her. Yeah. But she also admits in this movie that she's a little bit of a softie at heart. So that's also like why I think she's really likable. But in terms of the relatability, yeah, I just think it's very obvious that friends cannot stay friends with benefits. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's ever actually worked out like the way people intended anyway. But right. uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think I agree with you. I would definitely want to be at least friends with uh, with Jamie. I mean, I know people like Jamie, too. I thought you were going to say that you'd be friends with Mila Kunis. <laughs> well, I mean, that too, obviously. But obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, Justin Timberlake's character, Dylan, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's likable, too. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, he's like, he's a fun dude, and he seems honest and, and, and good. So I feel like, yeah, both of them, I think, were likable and relatable. Because I'm like, yeah, they're, they're people that you totally would be friends with, which is, I think, why I think I didn't hate this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think Dylan, he's kind of goofy, which I, like, really love about this depiction of this guy. He's not, like, some douche, which we haven't even mentioned. The tree-staring guy, played by Brian Greenberg, who's the douche doctor. So many reasons I don't <laughs> like him, but I don't know. I can get into it now if you want me to. Or Sure, yeah. Okay, so okay, so the guy, his name is Parker in the movie. He's portrayed mm-hmm. by Brian Greenberg. So in real life, Brian... Brian Greenberg is married to another Jamie, Jamie Chung. Jamie who, Chung. Who was an actress that I had a crush on for the longest time. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like bitter about it because I'm just like, dude is clearly not good looking enough to be with Jamie Chung. And then he also plays a douche in this movie. And I was like, you're totally a douche in real life, I'm sure. <laughs> like, the, the, his whole sort of sh- like shtick is also like, I don't even know like what to believe about it. Like, is he actually a surgeon? Like, what if they're just having lunch and he has like the fake badge and he's just mm. hanging out outside the hospital because, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't like jive with me. Like his whole thing, he seemed very suspicious in general. But yeah, I didn't like him. I think the first time I saw this, I don't know if I knew he was going to be the douche that he ended up being. I think that Jamie was going to date Parker for like a little bit and then just like fall out of love with him, realizing that Dylan is the guy for her. But yeah, I, I, I don't really have any strong feelings about the character of Parker, but I'm glad that they juxtaposed the douchebagginess of Parker with like this really 
sweet endearing guy in Dylan, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, I had a feeling he was going to end up being some sort of fail. Actually, I when I, fir- I remember when I first watched this movie, my initial thought was like, oh, she's totally going to catch him cheating or like doing the same shtick like in a park staring at a tree. Because also the other thing, I was like, the whole setup, I'm like, no dude stares at a tree in the park and is okay. Yeah. I guess it was a little believable when he was like, oh, I was like, I fell asleep. I don't know how I got to the park. I'm like, okay, clearly it's a joke. But at the same time, I'm like, or he's trying to pick up chicks in the park, but I don't know. Yeah, very possible. I mean, I think you needed to have that also to sort of, like, be the impetus for, like, why Dylan realizes, oh, I actually really like her. And then she realizes that, like, oh, I still really miss Dylan and all that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just convenient. All Everything was very convenient. So your favorite character, who is it? Tommy. Tommy. Tommy, Woody Harrelson. It's great. Also, I just like, I just like all the jokes he makes about fun. It's like, oh, what do you think? Like, oh my gosh, yes. It's like Helvetica kind of thing. It's like, oh, what fun is it? It's like, oh, it's just times to run. He's like, oh, inspired. (laughs) I forgot. Such a good bet. So random. It's so random, but it's so funny because it's also like how editors talk sometimes. And they're just like, man, I don't know. Like, what fun is like, who cares, dude? It's just fun. Like, just put something. Well, okay, now hold on. Now you've got me thinking. I would assume GQ uses a continuous similar font. Yes. So what does this even talk about, different fonts and stuff like that? I think it's just supposed to be a joke, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if it's like trying to play into like, (laughs) oh, he's gay, so he's artsy, and so he's going to care about these things or whatever. But I still thought it was funny. I mean, he's also like the voice of reason while also being, Mm -hmm. you know... A source of comedy. Ridiculous, yeah. Like, the whole basketball scene and, like, everything is just, it's it's great. And then I also really liked uh, Jenna Elfman's character, Annie. Uh, she was great, yeah. too. Yeah, every time I see Jenna Elfman, it makes me happy. I wish they'd explained her nickname, like, the Banani or whatever. Like, I wanted, yeah. I wanted more background behind that. I think that was a really, like, also true depiction of big sister, younger brother. Like, yes. she's just, like, nagging him, like... Dylan, don't be such an idiot. Like yeah. that sing-songy thing. And Dylan's just like, okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Like, don't and even. And then she also ends a phone call saying, "I love you," but he never says it back. Yeah. I mean, I'm the younger brother. I always say it back, but I just thought it was very funny. I was just like, of course, the younger sibling didn't say it back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw myself in Annie for sure. I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> she kind of reminds me of you too. I was like. <laughs> It's like, so tell me, how is this going? What's new? And he's just very clearly like, don't want to talk about it. I'm like, but tell me more. (laughs) Yeah, I love Annie. Annie's great. Uh, But officially, I wrote down that Patricia Clarkson was my favorite. Oh, yeah, she's also very good. Just I think because she was just funny. She was just the funny one out of all the side characters. And I know you know this, but for those who might not know, Patricia Clarkson's also the mom in Easy A, who is also directed by Will Gluck, who did this movie. But she's also been in the digital short with Justin Timberlake and Andy Samberg, Mother Lover, which is also Yes. I read that. I I had seen that short like years ago. uh, So I didn't remember that it was her in that. So yeah. Because every Mother's Day needs a Mother's Night. That's what's up. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) That short is so good. When I saw it, like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, man, I totally forgot that Patricia Clarkson. Then I immediately started thinking about Mother Lover, and the song was, like, stuck in my head as I was watching the movie. (laughs) Who's the other mom in that short? Susan Sarandon. Yes, Susan Sarandon. All right, I'm going to have to YouTube this when we're done here. I love it. It's pretty great. I think we talked about this, or I I made allusions to this, but what do you think? Do you think the characters stay together? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think good relationships are built out of good friendships 
with my my current significant other. We were friends first. So I think it's good to sort of have that good base of, you know, of like trust and, and, and understanding and chemistry there. So yeah, I think I think they a hundred percent stay together. Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. I was kinda like maybe. Ooh, maybe. Why? Okay, so this is like me being me, I guess. I was like, so how does this like where will they live? Dylan's dad is clearly like taking a turn for the worst, like with Alzheimer's. So I don't think Dylan would want to be that far from his dad in LA. So yeah, this is me thinking long term because this is just how my brain works. It's just that Dylan would eventually move back to LA. Where does that leave Jamie? Does Jamie go back with him? But in terms of the plot between Jamie and Dylan, I can believe that they stay together. Because as you say, we've seen their friendship evolve and we're more inclined to believe that they work because there's an actual foundation in their relationship. So I'll just say, sure, they work out. I guess to your point about like, I mean, yeah, I get, obviously it's difficult, but I also at the same time feel like if Dylan didn't know that he was going to have to travel back and forth, he wouldn't have taken the job in New York. So I feel like mm. there is, there's room there and like, not to sound all like, morbid and, and dark about it but like his dad's illness is not like a forever thing mm-hmm. i mean yeah there's definitely some uncertainty there but i don't think it would necessarily be enough to have them break up permanently yeah no that's fair i think dad would also be like no like do you like i yeah. want you to live your life like as we've seen in the movie annie tells jamie that like dylan just doesn't really like to talk about their dad being sick right and he just can't come to terms with it but i think throughout the telling of this movie we see dylan kind of i guess accept dad's illness a little bit yeah uh, i think this was in Trainwreck too right where we talked about how amy's dad died in that movie and i yes. really kind of appreciated that they try to show the hardships and like the not so happy parts about family and getting older and all these things and so i i, I appreciate that in this movie as well yeah but i think it's also good because it's sort of like he's still also still a source of like wisdom, even like in his state, because like he still mm-hmm. talks to him and he like still kind of like advises him. And he also was like cognizant enough to like know that like before the end, it's like he knows that like Dylan needs to go and get her. And he's just like, I'll be fine. Like, just go do your thing. Like, he knows what's up. So I think it would work out. Yeah. I can't believe I'm the romantic in this one. It's so you weird. Are. Like, everything is so weird about this. I, I don't know if I like this. It's fine. But anyways, keep going. The evolution of my episodes, I'm just slowly and slowly becoming more cynical. Or I guess I'm just showing that side of me a little bit more. Because I think the funny thing about, well, I don't know if it's funny, but about me, I guess, is that, yeah, I love these romantic stories, but... When it comes to real world scenarios, I'm deeply cynical about love. So <laughs> it's very interesting, I but guess. But that's why you love rom-coms, because you're so cynical about it in real life that you want to have the escape. You want the fairy tale. It's fine. Absolutely. I don't need more darkness in my life. Yeah. Okay, so third eye blind aside, what are your <laughs> thoughts on the music and soundtrack of this movie? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it was fine. I enjoyed like the little references like here and there. Like when they're in the park and and he's trying to like hit on that one chick, like the saxophone guy's playing just a friend on the saxophone. Like that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think for the most part it was fine. I, I guess I really don't like that song closing time because it's so overplayed. I, I'll be honest, the third eye blind thing kind of ruined all the music for me after Aww. that. <laughs> Got it. Okay, good to know. Yeah, there's that's one thing I'm learning from you from this. Is that you are a you'll throw down for third eye blind. I love that. I think the soundtrack was like fine, you know, like nothing was amazing about it. It was no Notting Hill. It was no Notting Hill, exactly. <laughs> I, I noticed like 
obviously train hazel sisters played in this death cab for cutie which was a moment also years yeah. ago and some bruno mars but like yeah it just it's not like a soundtrack that i would reach for oh yeah i forgot about train that's another negative for me i don't like train either yeah i think that i think it was kind of played sort of ironically because it's like the generic up-tempo upbeat song that they reference in the movie right and then it's also played in the movie so wink wink so this movie do you think it's a beloved rom-com no i don't at all. I think the only thing memorable about it is that it came out the same year as the movie of like the exact same plot, which stars future Mr. Mila Kunis, Aston mm. Kutcher, uh, yes. No Strings Attached. And I remember looking this up because I, I remember they came out the same year, but I couldn't remember which one it come out first mm-hmm. and uh, and like how much time. So No Strings Attached came out in January of 2011. And then this came out in July, which I don't remember like, I don't remember there being such a gap. I actually remember them coming out, like, at the same time and then, like, having to, like, sort of choose. Like, it felt very much sort of like an Armageddon deep impact kind of situation where it's right. like, this is pretty much the same movie, just with different people in it. Yep. But I don't think I ended up going to see No Strings Attached. I think I saw that on TV, but mm-hmm. I did go see Friends with Benefits in the movie theater. But I think the, the reasoning for that was, one, I don't hate Aston Kutcher now, but... At the time, I really didn't like Ashton Kutcher. I didn't think he was, like, really that much of a draw. Mm-hmm. Natalie Portman being in No Strings Attached was a draw, but I was also kind of surprised because, like, I guess, like, I don't really remember her ever really being in any other rom-com-ish things. Like, but at that time, I think she'd only kind of been in, like, indie stuff. Like, I remember her with Garden State, obviously, right. but... I thought it was weird that she was in a rom-com, and I also didn't understand, like, the whole, like, her and Ashton Kutcher. I was like, I don't see chemistry there. That's weird. I think I agree with you. So in terms of Friends with Benefits versus No Strings Attached, I actually think I was camp No Strings Attached for a while. (laughs) I know, but hear me out. I think it's because that one was played on TV more. And I think I was more into Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher versus like JT. I just, I, I, I really do like him as like a musician, as I mentioned, but like, I just didn't really buy into him being an actor. So I think, like, as a package, I like Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher versus Mila Kunis and JT. Interesting. I think the chemistry is a lot better between JT and Mila Kunis than it is between Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman. Yeah, so I, I haven't seen No Strings Attached in a while. That said, I think I am more camp friends with benefits at this point. That's the right camp to be in, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that this movie, and No Strings Attached, I think that there wasn't that much room for them to succeed because the movies came out so close to each other. Which was also just like a weird thing too, because I guess, actually, because yeah, I know at one point Mila Kunis has said that like her and Ashley Kutcher actually were trying to do like the Friends with Benefits arrangement where they were just going to like be hooking up and that's it. And then they started dating and all that because they were friends Mm. from that 70s show. But if they were friends, it's like, did they not talk about stuff they were working on like hey i'm gonna do this like rom-com where it's like they're gonna be friends first and they're like oh hey like i'm doing that too and it's like wait a second <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah for sure it's very strange and like the way the studios and hollywood works like who knows what goes on behind closed doors how is there not more communication and i think that there were projects that were stalled but then like timing is weird because it takes a lot and a lot of people to make a movie so they ended up coming out within like i guess seven months of each other but 
I do want to call out what you said about Natalie Portman not being in rom-coms. I actually think that that is the only rom-com she's ever been in. Like, yeah, I don't consider I Garden so. State a rom-com, you know, right. like, yeah. So interesting choice of entering the rom-com world with that movie. Yeah, I mean, but I think that is the only reason why these movies actually sort of stick out in memory. I was like, oh, right, that was that rom-com that came out that was just like this other rom-com that mm-hmm. came out in the same year. But in terms of, like, longevity, like, I don't really know if there's that much uh, to it. I mean, I think it's 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 something that it was, like, JT's first rom-com, because, like, now when I think of him as an actor, like, I only really think of him in, in rom-com things, or at least mm. comedy things, because... You know, he started out with, like, Social Network and, like, yeah. you know, all these sort of, like, more serious things. But now it's, like, he kind of does, like, way more comedy stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think there's there's some, I guess there's something to that. But other than that, like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't have any strong opinions about this, but I'm leaning towards it's not that beloved. It's not saying anything new. It's really, I think, just relying on the star power this movie has. Yeah, I mean, the star power is pretty much all that it has. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not an original story. And there's yeah. not like, as I mentioned, there's no iconic scenes. Like you don't reach for this movie for anything new or particularly even that funny. But yeah, maybe you come to see Mila Kunis be really fun and hilarious and fast talking and JT being who he is. So yeah, you mentioned earlier, you know, this category of, if this movie were to be made today, what would be done differently? And the character of Woody Harrelson was a little bit problematic for me, even though, yes, he was very funny. Yeah. I do think, though, I mean, it probably isn't professional either. Just him asking everyone, are you gay? Are you gay? Are you sure you're not gay? Like, I don't think that you could talk about sexuality in that sense in a professional setting. Yeah. Yeah. The climate of it, I think, has changed quite a bit. So I think it is. Yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah, I don't think that would fly right like today right. if they had to do it. If they had to do it again, I'm sure they would probably have to like rewrite it a, little, a little bit. And like, yeah, I get that it's a comedy, but it's a, it was a little over the top, I'd say. Yeah, agree. And then like I was kind of watching pretty closely at certain points, like realizing that everyone in the main cast and even the side characters are all Caucasian. Yep. And in a city like New York, there's there's zero diversity in terms of the cast. But the background, I will say, the extras, they really did make an effort. Like, I was looking at JT's colleagues at GQ, and they were all people of color. Or yes. they were also Caucasians, but there were so many people of color there. But I was just like, oh, interesting. They made an effort with that, but not with the main cast. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it was also sort of a product at the time. But I will say the part, like, I guess, talking about the diversity, there, the scene where he takes the guy's pants... Like, he, he asks the non-white guy first, and then the guy takes off his head, he's not wearing under, he's like, no, not your pants. I'm just like, that's a little weird. Like, what, what, what is yeah. this? What is this? What is this? <laughs> so weird. I forgot about that. But again, like, as I mentioned, it's mostly just JT, Mila, and then their families. So, okay, sure. I guess that makes sense. There's not going to be room for a person of color in their family. But, right. you know. They could have had a friend or something. Yeah. But they tried, but it's eh, not, the same. not enough for me. Yeah, fair. All right, so I know you probably know all these points of trivia, but these are just the few that were interesting to me. So when this movie came out in 2011, this movie opened third in the box office. So first was Captain America, first Avenger, and second in the box office was Harry Potter, the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Of course, Harry Potter. (laughs) LOL, Harry Potter. I like these kinds of points of trivia just because it kind of takes me back to like a time frame reference. Like, oh, these were the other movies that came out at the same time. 
which, yeah, this was a long time ago. Captain America, First Avenger. First Avenger, shout out MCU, still beat out these movies, <laughs> even back then when it wasn't the MCU that we know now. Yeah, wild. So there's that. And I'm sure you know this one, but Jamie takes a sign from someone at the airport that says, Oh, Pendergast. Easy which, A! Which was Emma Stone's character in Easy A, which came out a year before, directed by the same director of this movie. Well, good luck. And what I thought was mildly interesting was that Will Gluck, who wrote the movie with other people, he workshopped the script with JT and Mila Kunis. So that to me means that both JT and Mila had like a say in how the script ended up being. They had like opinions, they inserted themselves into the the writing of the script. So that was, I thought, pretty cool. So the interesting part to that, I thought that was funny. It was like, so that means they were okay with all the like nudity scenes and just like Mm. being on top of each other all the time. I guess so. I'm just saying, I think the chemistry there is good. That's why it works. So side note, I actually remember when this movie came out, like I think Justin was dating Jessica Biel at the time, but then I think they like put their relationship on hold for a brief amount of time. And I think this movie came out in that brief hold moment. So... Do you think it was Mila Kunis' fault? (laughs) No, I don't think so. But I do think being like, ooh, are they or aren't they actually in a relationship? And I think that that question helped sell this movie a little bit more. It's like, ooh, I want to see JT and Mila if they have chemistry on screen because maybe they have chemistry off screen too. Yeah. But as we all know, JT and Jessica Biel got back together together and -hmm. just had a second kid. I, I heard. I saw and then the final point of trivia was that mom, played by Patricia Clarkson, apparently had like a few deleted scenes of her own relationship with with a friend with benefits. Like in the movie, you actually see her at the end. With a black dude. Phone. Yeah, with a black dude who has like no pants on. And I was like, yeah. uh, cool, but also like super random, I guess. I mean, she's a free spirit. But also I was yeah. wondering, I was like, is that like Lombard Victor or whatever? Like, I don't know, whatever. Oh, the Cleveland guy? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. Um, did you find anything of note? Uh, no, I mean, besides all the sort of like easy A references, I think like you covered most of them. There's a lot of sort of like overlap. Like, I love the fact like that Jason Siegel was in this. And then like him and JT ended up being doing another rom-com together, Bad Teacher Later. Which I've never seen, actually. Like, to me, the only reason why it's interesting is because, like, you know, JT and Cameron Diaz dated and then they broke up and then did that movie together. So mm. would you recommend that movie? Uh, recommend is a strong word. I mean, I'd, okay. I'd, I'd watch it if it were on, but Fair. like, you know, you don't need to like go out of your way to watch it. <laughs> Noted. Good to know. Well, I think we can wrap it up. Do you have any last takes or last thoughts you'd like to add before we sign off? I just am still stuck on the fact that you gave this a higher rating than me. (laughs) I really, really didn't think that was going to happen. Let's clear this up now. Okay. So after this conversation, (sighs) yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Does your rating change? Yes, my rating will change. I think I'm going to go with the 6.4 just because I do have more qualms with this movie than... I guess I did as I was typing up my notes <laughs> and I'm realizing if I want to be consistent with other, you know, movies I talk about, then yeah, this shouldn't be a seven. So 6.4, I'm amending it to 6.4. I think my, my only sort of point of like giving it a higher score of yourself, keeping it at a seven would be that it is 
by far the most realistic of the rom-coms that like well i I guess i don't know if that i've ever seen but it's like more realistic than most rom-coms at least so i Mm -hmm. think there is some validity to giving it maybe a higher score but i just didn't think you would give it that higher score because of your feelings about rom-coms yeah I guess I think uh, I was mostly reacting to how much I appreciated watching Mila and JT together. I think I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm sold. I'm on board with them as a couple. The chemistry worked. I mean, I almost feel like we need to do No Strings Attached now. (laughs) Ooh, that would be interesting. I'm down if you are. I mean, I'm down if you want to. I will watch that movie. Let's do it. I guess it's only fair, right? We've kind of talked at length about this movie. We've covered both. We've covered this one so much. It's like we might just all do the other contender. I love it. Okay, we will. Let's make it happen. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) So my last take is that you mentioned like JT's like filmography, basically. And I I do think of this as like the rom-com that he's done. Like I, I haven't seen Bad Teacher. And I do kind of wonder what his career would have been like if he did more movies like this. And I kind of wonder why he didn't, because this was a pretty successful movie and the critics seem to like it as in terms of like New York Times, like Ebert gave it like three out of four stars, I think. But really? Like, oh, I was just looking at it. Hang on. Let me fact check myself. <laughs> yeah, he gave it three out of four stars. Man, he's slipping. All right. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so I just I wonder If I were to ever, like, come across JT in life, I would ask him, like, why didn't you explore this rom-com path uh, a little bit more since he seemed to make it work? I don't know. Like, I guess maybe it is a little too on brand for him. I mean, because if you think about it, like, the the stuff we know him for is all, like, mostly comedy things. Like, he's he's great on SNL. It's a comedy thing. And then we've seen him in sort of, like, a lot of, like, fun things. And I think that's why he was trying so hard to to just do like sort of unconventional things that kind of like break that rule because i think like right after this movie he did uh in time which is like that action thriller with amanda yeah. cyphered which was very different and then his next movie after that was like was trouble with the curve which is like another like clint drama. eastwood movie yeah which is another like yeah. dramatic thing so i think he prefers doing like the more sort of like artistic stuff yeah, I guess you want it to be taken more seriously, which yes. I guess makes sense if but, you're like this pop star. But now he does trolls, so. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I saw that he was nominated for an Oscar for Best Song. Yeah. You know, I guess he knows his lane. But yeah, I, I just couldn't help but wonder. I was like, oh, I wonder if he would have been like the next big rom-com lead if he stayed in this lane. I guess we'll never know. But yeah, thanks, John. I think we can wrap it up. Uh, I appreciate your time, and I look forward to doing No Strings Attached with you down down the line. Me too. Thanks for having me. Thank you to all tuning in to another episode of Romcom Weekly. You can check us out on Instagram at Romcom Weekly, and please give us a follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And would love to hear what you think about this movie. What would you rate this on a scale from one to ten? And we'll chat with you again next week. Bye.